Welcome to Real Radiant, a podcast from the heart to help you connect to your radiant self. I'm your host, Morgan Lesniewski, and each week I'm bringing on some amazing guests for real and honest conversations on topics like lifestyle, wellness, and how to live your best life. Let's get into it. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Real Radiant Podcast. I'm your host, Morgan Lesniewski, and I'm so happy to be back here for another episode this week. I hope you all are doing well, and I know that you guys will all love this episode. I am joined by Summer Forlenza. She is a trauma and EMDR therapist and also a content creator on Instagram. So check out her Instagram at summerthetherapist with periods in between the words. She is so informative and and such a good person to learn from about all things trauma and recovery. And that's exactly what we talk about in today's episode, specifically little t trauma, which could be like your smaller instances of trauma, like growing up with emotional abuse from a parent, eating disorders, things like that. And we talk about both of those in this episode, as well as the recovery process, and how therapy works. So I know that you guys will get so much valuable information out of this episode. And I think everybody listening can learn something and probably relate to something that is talked about in this episode because we've all experienced some type of little trauma within our lives that we typically wouldn't consider to be a traumatic event, but actually can be. And it can be detrimental to how we interact with other people, especially in our relationships, within our family, and the way we see ourselves. So definitely a highly valuable and informative episode for you guys listening. And before we get into it, I just want to do a weekly check-in and hope that you guys are all doing well. I have been working super hard on the podcast, trying to get some amazing guests on for you guys. And each week I am just loving the people that we've been having on. And I have so many people coming up over the next couple months. So I'm super excited for you guys to keep listening and keep learning from these amazing people. And that's like the one thing with Real Radiant that I really pride myself on is just having real conversations with real women to help all of us. That's the main mission here is to just help and inform and have awesome conversations. I hope that you guys have been loving them. Like I said, I hope you guys are all doing well. And if you're not, always feel free to message me on Instagram. And don't forget to leave a rate and review on whatever platform you're listening on, as well as follow the Instagram at Real Radiant with two T's. I love getting feedback from you guys. I want to hear what you guys like, don't like, and then also check out the posts on the Instagram. I'm posting daily on there about podcast updates, wellness tips, lifestyle tips, all of that. So definitely a lot going on over on Instagram. So make sure you follow. Thank you guys so much for listening. And without further ado, let's get into it. Hi, Summer. Thank you so much for coming on Real Radiant. I'm so excited to have you on today. Thanks so much, Morgan. I'm happy to be here. Me too. So the big question of the podcast is what is one quote that has resonated with you and changed your perspective on things like life, jobs, relationships, anything like that? The quote that I chose is a Leonard Cohen quote. Uh, It's from a poem or a song of his. And it says, ring the bells that still can ring. Forget your perfect offering. There is a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. And it's kind of like lengthy. But the reason that this quote really resonates with me is because I work with a lot of people who have survived trauma, abuse, violence, illness, things like that. Um, And a lot of times after an experience like that, you come to the other side And you are very different than who you were before. And you have a hard time understanding, like, what do I have to offer the world at this point? I feel broken. I don't feel like who I was. Um, And 
when he says there is a crack in everything and that's how the light gets in, it really, I think, speaks to me about the idea that going through really hard things actually helps us a lot of times, not always, but helps us to grow as people and have a more empathetic and realistic perspective of what the world is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. Because mm. I believe there there was this, I don't know where I saw this, but you mm. might, you might know, but there was a study done or something done where they asked people like a hundred people, if they would go back and reverse the things, the horrible things that happened to them, and none of them said no. That none they, of them. None of them said no. Everybody said no. Those horrible things that happened to me, those traumatic events, they were what made me who I am today, and what gave me the knowledge that I have today. And I, even though it was horrible in the moment, I would never, I wouldn't go back in time to make sure it didn't happen. So. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, honestly, that tracks from like my experience with people, you know, and mm-hmm. I think it can be tr- kind of tricky because like when you're going through your recovery from trauma, which is like my jam, right? Like that's what I do is I help people recover from mm-hmm. trauma. Um, when you're going through it, a lot of times in the middle, you're like, um, absolutely not. Please make this never have happened to me. I wish it never mm-hmm. happened. I wish I could go back and delete it. You know, that's pretty common. But then um, you know, once you're further along in your recovery, a lot of times people think like, oh my God, but I don't know who I would be if this hadn't happened to me. And like this version of me who exists now I'm proud of, and Mm -hmm. I don't want to go back to who I was before. So it's like, we don't want to say what happened wasn't awful because it was, um, but it also can like lead us to becoming a person that we're proud of, you know? Exactly. Exactly. I love that. So tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, what you do, all of that. Sure. So I'm Summer Forlenza. I'm a licensed marriage family therapist, uh, which is a long way of saying that I'm a therapist. (laughs) And I work in the state of California with folks who are recovering from trauma, mostly. So a lot of folks who come in with PTSD symptoms, who have gotten out of abusive relationships or family dynamics or experience violence of some kind. Um, so I do a lot of work clinically with, with my own clients. And then I also am, I guess, a content creator. I think that's what I'm calling myself now, <laughs> um, where I'm writing and speaking about trauma and trauma recovery online as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I found you through your Instagram and I just, oh, I yeah. loved what you were posting. It was so informative and just giving valuable information from an expert like yourself, because so often on social media and everything, people are just giving out information, but they don't have the licenses or the expertise to back it up. So accounts and people like yourself are doing a really good service for people. Thank you. And dude, I totally agree. I could go on a whole rant about like the information about trauma and like what it is and how it shows up. Mm-hmm. It's kind of, I feel like sort of trending online right now to talk about your trauma, mm-hmm. um, which in some ways is good, but in other ways I'm like, oh my God, there's so much bad information out there. <laughs> Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I try to be like the voice of reason among that. So can you kind of debunk or give us what your definition of what trauma is and like the information that we should know and take with us like after this interview? Great question. I love that. Um, So my working definition of trauma is an experience where you feel overwhelmed, um, helpless or trapped those are kind of the two major criteria. Um, so that could be, you know, we think of, when we think of trauma, a lot of times people think of like veterans, they think about war, right? And that meets those criteria, right? Because a lot of times those folks who are in those situations are totally overwhelmed with what's happening and they're trapped within it. They can't get out. They can't stop doing what they're doing. They're stuck there. Um, 
And the reason I think those two things are important, um, I think the overwhelm piece is, is kind of obvious, but that stuck and trapped piece is really essential to what trauma is because human beings are actually like really good at going through hard things um, and really bad stuff. We are very good at going through that without coming out, coming out on the other side, being traumatized. But it's when we, what the research shows anyway, is that when you are having that horrible experience and you are unable to engage in your fight or your flight mechanism, so you're unable to fight back or you're unable to run away, so you have to go into freeze mode, that is when you're a lot more likely to develop PTSD symptoms. Um, and I think one of the things people get wrong about trauma online is that going through something that is traumatic automatically leads to trauma. Um, and that's actually not true. Most people in the world are going to experience something traumatic, but most people in the world are not going to develop PTSD. It's something that's really uniquely happens when a few different, like when you go through, through something really bad and you're trapped and you're alone um, and you don't get support afterwards, you're more likely to develop PTSD. Mm. So would you say that that's where the distinction between like the big T trauma, which would be like PTSD, really horrible events, and then the little mm. T trauma, which is, I by, based on what you're saying, everyone experiences some type of little T trauma where it's not as huge or significant as like say PTSD or something like that. You know, I think both types of trauma are actually like kind of prevalent. Most people at mm. some point in their life are going to have some sort of event where somebody they love gets sick or they get hurt or they get in a car accident or there's a natural disaster. Like those things are also, I think the research that I saw recently said that like 70% of Americans are going to have an experience that meets that criteria at one point mm -hmm. in their life. Um, and then the little t traumas. Yeah. I think those are much more common. Um, and those would be like, when people like a lot of times I talk about getting your emotional needs are when they're not met, you know, especially mm -hmm. for a long period of time that can qualify for little T things like bullying, um, things like having parents who are absent or not connected to you, right? Those are a lot more common. Um, and they can also develop into PTSD, but they don't always, right? A lot of people have experiences in school or in their family where they're not great and maybe they even feel really bad or they think about it it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to develop into like a trauma response in their brain and body you know okay yeah yeah that makes sense and so because a lot of times people I mean it takes a lot of self-awareness and when you're in the midst of the trauma it can hard to be it can hard to understand that you're actually experiencing it but when you mm -hmm. come out of it you can pinpoint okay yes I experienced this but for the, a lot of those smaller traumas, like the little T's, how can we differentiate and actually understand what we're going through and see that we are experiencing some type of trauma? Because I feel like it can be really hard to actually see it in the moment compared mm -hmm. to, you know, years and years later. Yeah, dude. I mean, it's really hard to, to like identify little T traumas as they're happening because a lot of times they are totally normalized either in our culture or our family or our school. They're like, oh yeah, this is part of life. You know, you have to deal with it. And so people, a lot of times sort of don't recognize that what they're going through is actually really significant and is impacting them in a long way. 
Um, and I think one of the best ways to start to recognize little T stuff is to sort of like reality check with other people who are outside of that community or that culture or that family. Um, so be like, hey, this thing happened. You know, you see these like memes online and stuff of people like being like, oh, I told a story about my family and everyone's just like looking at me shocked. And I thought it was a funny like family story. Uh, I think like stuff like that, right? When we start to talk to other people who are outside of our experience and say, yeah, this is what it was like for me. Or yeah, this is what happens when I go home. Or yeah, when I go to school, this happens. Um, and then other people react like, oh my God, like really? Mm-hmm. <laughs> A lot of times yeah. that's one of the first times that people are like, oh, that's not normal. Like, oh. Yeah. No, that totally makes sense. Cause I know yeah. like for me, I'll open up a little bit. And I mm-hmm. just graduated and my family was, um, they came to Colorado because that's where I went to school there. And we got rented a house for the weekend. And my dad, like, this is just an instance. My dad has had, um, he's hasn't always been the best father figure, if that makes sense. <laughs> like, he's kind of been off and on, you know. And he came out of the room after taking a nap and just, like, started yelling super loud and everybody looked at a look looked around and were like what is he doing that's not normal at all and but then my mom and sisters and I were like whatever like we didn't even notice that he was doing it because that was always a common thing when we were growing up in our childhood and then afterwards they were like does he always do that like why why did he do that we thought that he was hurt or something like that so that's very true with what you just said yeah like right it's like when your friends or your you know other people see like oh my god that's how you're that's that's just like normal for your dad like he just does that and you're like oh your dad doesn't do that like yeah (laughs) it's definitely very eye-opening when that happens because then you kind of come to the realization like oh okay I guess everybody else doesn't experience this and then you start to think of it a little bit differently Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you start to get like, once you realize it's not necessarily normal or typical, you can start to recognize like, oh, has this changed the way that I expect people to treat me? Has this mm-hmm. changed the way that I react to things like hearing a man yell, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And then you can start to see how it's impacted you. Yeah, exactly. But you have to recognize it first and that's hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So with your experience as a therapist and working with people who have dealt with trauma, like what do you think are your, the biggest like contributors to those little T traumas that we usually don't, wouldn't consider to be unless we were like working with someone like you or going through that experience that we just talked about where people say like, oh, that's not normal. Mm, Like what are some of the most common ones? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think mm, it's a good question. Right away, what comes to my mind is I think there's a lot of families where some level of what I could call emotional abuse, but other folks might think that's too strong a term is um, really normal. Right. So you'll see a lot of families where they like the adults in the family, the aunts and uncles will like make fun of the kids like, oh, why do you know, like make fun of how they talk or how they look. And it's supposed to be jokey and like funny and like, oh, this is like just funny. And I do it say because I love you. Um, but that kind of stuff, if you get it a lot from an early age, can really shape the way you see yourself. Mm-hmm. Right. And then when you go out in the world and people give you positive feedback, you're like, oh, that's no way that's true. You're just saying that right? Like I hear that all the time from people. They're like, oh, you're just saying that. Or like, oh, I get really uncomfortable when I get compliments. Like, I don't even know how to take them because it's so Mm -hmm. normalized that the people who love you say negative or mean things to you. Right. Mm -hmm. 
So that's one I think is actually really common um, in lots of families. I also think about um, the experience of having your emotions be like places where you're not allowed to feel emotions or at least certain ones, right? Mm -hmm. Like, oh, if you're going to cry, you need to go into the other room. And when you're done, you can come back Mm -hmm. or um, you need to lower your tone. Like you need to speak with me with that's so disrespectful for you to speak with me like that when the parent is like raising their voice and yelling at you (laughs) and then you kind of meet them there. And then you get told, oh, you're not allowed to do that and get shut Mm -hmm. down. And I think that experience just kind of like trains people to disconnect from their emotions and be like, oh, I'm getting angry. Shut it down. Can't do that. Oh, I'm starting mm-hmm. to get sad. Shut it down. Can't do that. Um, and then you lose access to all of this information that your emotions are trying to show you. Um, and it makes it really hard to have healthy relationships with yourself, with other people, if like huge chunks of emotions are just totally shut down. And I mm-hmm. see both of those examples like a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I can definitely see that because there's, mm-hmm. there's so many times where you'll give somebody a compliment, even just in like day-to-day conversation. And they're like, what? Like, oh, you mm-hmm. do you think this about me? Like nobody's ever said that to me or something like that, where there's just so much shock and surprise. And like, mm-hmm. even I, I felt like that. I'm sure you felt like that before. Yeah. So it, those are just like, so such little things that you wouldn't consider to be forms of trauma, but actually in reality it can be. Yeah. And I think like what I hope people can understand about this is like, you know, there's because sometimes you'll hear like people who are have like a negative perspective or who, you know, who say like, oh, everything's trauma these days, isn't it? Like, oh, people just say everything's trauma. And when we talk about little t traumas like that, we're not talking about one time, you know, your uncle made fun of the shirt that you were wearing when you were four. Right. Mm -hmm. We're talking about repeated regular experiences over years where Mm -hmm. you just start to expect, oh, people who love me say mean things to me. Um, When I have emotions, I'm not allowed to be around other people, right? And you just learn these things over years. And that's when it can develop into this place where um, you're just very disconnected from your body and your brain and it becomes tricky. You have to start to figure out how recovery is going to look for you. Yeah. So how can we, because when we've experienced some type of like small trauma like this, and we compare it to somebody who has severe PTSD or like was molested as a child and has like really, really severe trauma, how can we acknowledge what we've dealt with and actually feel like we're worthy of talking about that? Because I feel like a lot of times we can, I'm like, you know, the saying, you need to be grateful what you have because there's people starving in other countries. But at the same time, it's like your the problems you face are what you handle, you know, that that's your reality. So having that disparity between the big trauma and the little traumas and not feeling like your little traumas are worthy of being talked about is kind of, it's really problematic, I think. Yeah. And that, like, I think it does silence a lot of people, right? Because they get nervous, Mm -hmm. like, oh, I don't want to, like, act like this is a really big deal if there's other people who've had worse things happen. I hear Mm -hmm. that all the time, actually, from people, too, like, both on, like, in my practice, but also on social media. Um, Mm -hmm. And I have a couple thoughts on it. Um, The first is that, like, any experience within 
like with like with any mental health diagnosis, everything exists on a spectrum. So you can be diagnosed with depression and one person's version of depression is going to look really different from another person's. And there's a spectrum that they exist on. And the same is true for PTSD. Um, So some folks have PTSD symptoms that are more mild or don't totally interrupt their ability to go to school and work and function. Other people on the other side of that spectrum and they're dissociating all the time, they're losing time, they're having flashbacks and night stuff like that. Right. So all exists on a spectrum. And no matter where you are on that spectrum, the fact that you are struggling with some of those symptoms is still important. And it's still you're still worthy of getting support and treatments um, because it really does mess with your ability to live a life that you feel excited to live and proud to live. Um, So that's the first thing I hope people can understand is that PTSD isn't one checkbox. It's a spectrum of different symptoms and experiences, and it shows up different for everyone. And if you know people who have PTSD or who've gone through trauma, that when you look at that, you think, oh my gosh, like how is my, how can I even talk about mine when they've gone through that? Mm -hmm. Um, First of all, remember, there's probably people who are saying the same thing about you. (laughs) Like, oh my gosh, how can I talk about mine when she's gone through that? Um, And second, like that doesn't make your experience of symptoms any less valid that there are other people who have it worse. Um, And then the other thing that I think about uh, is I think like we are starting to expand our awareness of what trauma is and who has experienced trauma and has trauma symptoms and that's a huge change from how trauma was understood even like 20, 30 years ago, right? Like most people thought, oh, trauma is for veterans, like Vietnam vets, people who've seen just horrible things. They, you know, and it looks like this. um, And it was a really narrow definition. And that hurt a lot of people because there was a lot of people who had, who had never been to war, but who had all kinds of trauma symptoms who felt like, oh, I can't get support. I can't get treatment. It's, it's not real. Right. And now that we're expanding that, that that's actually like a really good thing. I think that more people are aware that they might meet criteria for PTSD um, or that they might have experienced trauma and it's affected them. Um, because I think there's so many ways that the traumas that we don't think of as severe or even like legitimate for some people, and I'm putting that in quotes so people can't see, right? Um, I think that's kept a lot of people and a lot of families stuck in really, really painful cycles of just repeating these very painful ways of being with each other. And when you can start to recognize, hey, this isn't normal, it's not okay, and I want it to change, that doesn't just help you, that helps everybody else in your life who knows you and anyone who will ever meet you. (laughs) And so sometimes I think like, you know, it's not like when we can be like validate ourselves, it has this ripple effect on the world around us. And that is good for everybody. Yeah. And so this is just kind of like a side note question, but Mm -hmm. do you think that because like people don't really want to acknowledge the smaller traumas or they don't think that they're legitimate, do you think that's where generational trauma within family stems from? Because they just, like, they may know that it's happening, but may think that it's just not a big deal because it's not as severe as something that happened to a war veteran. Yeah, I think it totally can, right? Like, when we think about, um, it's okay if I use your example that you gave a little earlier, Mm -hmm. right? Like a parent who is raising their voice a lot, getting really angry really quickly. Um, There's a lot of families that would be like, oh, that's not trauma. Oh, you're overreacting or whatever. They would say all kinds of stuff about that. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
And that means that later on, those kids grow up, become parents, and it's an automatic reaction. It just happens. And they talk to their kids like that. And then so on and so on. And so on. And the first person in the family who's able to stand up and look around and be like, you guys, like, I don't actually think this is okay or normal. And I don't mm-hmm. want to talk this way to my kids. Um, I think that this might have been a traumatic thing for me as a kid to never know if my dad was going to start screaming or not and be kind of on mm-hmm. edge every time he was upset. Um And I kind of want it to be different. Like then we can start to change it, but yes. Right. Like not validating that that's an actual traumatic experience does keep families like stuck in that generational cycle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I feel like it just takes one person to come to, you know, to kind of wake up from the sleeping cycle that they're in and actually realize, okay, what's going on is not normal. It's not okay. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to be the one, at least for my family, like when I have children and I, continue on the family um, generation, I'm not going to bring in those same habits. So yeah, and that's like, I feel like when people can recognize that when you like work on yourself and you work to heal yourself, it's not just about you. It's about, like I said earlier, everyone else in your life, it's actually a Mm -hmm. service that you're doing for other people too. Um, I think sometimes that can help people to can like be motivated to keep going, even when it gets hard, you know? Yeah. Exactly. So how, or what, can you walk us through the recovery process um, mm-hmm. when you're working with people who do have trauma and kind of the steps that they go through, especially maybe that beginning phase, because that's probably the hardest part of it all. Totally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The first couple things. Yeah. I think the beginning is the hardest stage because um, generally what we see happen is people get really good at not thinking about stuff, right? That's how we go through life when we've had really bad stuff happen to us or really, you know, a lot of little T traumas in our childhood. We get really good at separating it from it, putting it in a little box, filing it away and not thinking about it. Um, And when we start therapy to recover from trauma, part of what you have to do is like take the box out and open it and look at it again. Um, So it's really, 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 really common to feel a bit worse before you feel better when you do trauma therapy. Um, and when you start your recovery, because you're being courageous enough to actually look at what happened to you in the face um, and be honest about your experiences. So that's so one of the first things, but come, kind of come back to your question, like what happens? First thing that I want to do when someone comes in um, is establish that they have safety in their life right now, because recovering from trauma isn't going to work that well if you're still experiencing trauma. So we want to make sure that their home life is a safe place, a supportive place, um, that they have their basic needs met, that they have enough access to sleep and water and food and movement and support from their community or their friends or their family. Um, So that's the first thing is I want to make sure that they're safe. After we've established that or work to make sure that they have safety, um, then we're going to start opening the box and like looking at what's in there. And we can do it in all kinds of different ways, um, depending on what people are interested in. Sometimes people are really helped just by talking about what happens and looking at it and thinking about how it's affected them. Um, For folks who might have a bigger reaction to trauma that has occurred to them or their body has a really big reaction to it. We might use a protocol like EMDR therapy um, is the one that I'm trained in. And that helps your brain and body to look at the memory of what happens while you feel safe and kind of reprocess what it is that occurred and rework some of the thoughts about yourself and the world that gets stuck um, based on that experience. So there's all kinds of things we can do in that second phase of trauma therapy, that looking at the memories phase. Um, 
different people do it different ways. The third phase, the final phase of trauma therapy, after we have found safety and then worked through those memories is to reintegrate back into life. Um, a lot of survivors of trauma find themselves isolating. They find themselves feeling really different from the people around them, feeling really cut off from the world. And so, you know, that final piece is how can we get you back into the world and connecting with people and engaging with life again? Yeah. And how long do you think the recovery process really does it or is it just dependent on the person? So dependent. It's so hard to answer, right? Everybody's Mm -hmm. different. Um, For some people, recovery is sort of a lifelong process, especially Mm -hmm. if they have a lot of like childhood trauma that was ongoing. A lot of times that's something that you work with and manage throughout your life um, rather than get to a place of like being fully cured from it. Mm -hmm. Uh, But other times people, if you've had what I call like a single incident trauma, so you had like a car accident um, or you had you know, a natural disaster or something like that. Um, then depending on the kind of, tr- of therapy you do, it can be, you know, six months to a year. Um, mm. But it's so dependent on that person, their support network, their experiences. So very hard to, you know, guarantee for anybody that it'll take any length of time. <laughs> yeah. And throughout the recovery process, how mm. do you as a therapist keep people hopeful? you know, and help them feel like they still have power over their lives and things like that. Because going through the recovery process and really, you know, doing the hard, the real hard work of healing your trauma and everything can be so discouraging, especially during that beginning phase when things always get worse before they get better. So how do you really inspire them to keep moving forward, keep pushing and just know that it's going to be okay? I love that question. Um, One of the things that I really focus on with folks is like, how can you add in more joy, more pleasure and more fun into your life? Mm -hmm. Um, And part of that looks like how can we at the end of a therapy session kind of close things up in a way where you're not leaving therapy or leaving, you know, your recovery session of whatever kind feeling really activated, feeling really on edge, feeling really upset. Again, it's common to feel kind of worse, but you don't want to be like raw when you're coming back into the world. So we always have some sort of um, transition ritual at the end of a session, some grounding that we'll do together. Um, A lot of times I'll ask folks to use like 10 minutes after a therapy session to do some sort of grounding or um, something that's good for their body or their brain or to write stuff down somewhere that they can close it and put it away. Um, Mm -hmm. So finding some rituals that help you kind of close that part of your brain off and put it side until you come back next week. Um, and then, like I said, like we got to find ways to make life feel good. Um, so sometimes that's like just going outside and sitting in the sun. Um, if you have pets, I have a dog. He's got some, so much joy in my life because of him. Um, people do art, they listen to music. There's all kinds of things, but I'm like, how can we add in more pleasure, joy, and fun to your life? Because recovery is like, not an easy process. Um, but the point of it is to help you engage with the life that you love living. So we can start that even before you're totally, you know, recovered from what you've experienced by just adding in more stuff that makes you love your life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And do you like to go on, add on to that, like last Mm -hmm. part that you said, do you think that people ever really are recovered? Because I Mm -hmm. had an eating disorder and I like, I guess you can say that 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 is kind of like a little traumatic that that would be like a little one a hundred percent dude hundred yeah um and I still live with it today even though I'm not like 
I'm not severely underweight or anything like that. Like I don't have any of the symptoms of an eating disorder. Like I, I've been in therapy and everything and my mm-hmm. therapist described it sort of like the dry drunk mentality mm-hmm. where, you know, someone who's been an alcoholic for forever, it doesn't drink anymore, but they still have the same thinking process. And I think it like the eating disorders are kind of the same where you don't, you don't do the same habits that you had when you're in the midst of it, but you still think that way a lot. Yeah. And so like, I feel like I'm recovered, but then at the same time, it's like, I don't know if I mm. truly am because I still have those thoughts, you know? Yeah. Um, first of all, congratulations on like Thank reaching you. recovery. Um, I don't talk about this as much on social media, but a lot of my practice is working with eating disorders. Mm-hmm. Um, cause there's a lot of overlap between eating disorders and trauma actually. So yeah. a huge accomplishment. Good job. Thank you. Um, <laughs> Second, I, and just to kind of respond to you, I think it's really common for folks who are recovering from eating disorders or PTSD or childhood trauma um, to kind of be at a place that you just described where like, okay, like my behaviors have changed. I'm not isolating as much anymore. I'm not having flashbacks. Maybe I'm not self-harming. I'm not, you know, doing some of those things that might come with that experience, but my brain is still not like the kindest place in the world to live in. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And, you know, I think for some people that stage lasts longer than for others. There's no guarantees that anybody ever gets to fully exit that. Um, But I do think that a lot of people, the longer that you are in recovery and you're changing, you're not engaging in those behaviors anymore, right? the more you're building pathways in your brain that say, oh, this is normal and this is the way it is and this is okay. And sometimes mm-hmm. that takes a long time. Um, and sometimes you have to really protect your recovery, right? Like uh, sometimes there's triggering places um, where some of your old behaviors get activated or there's the urges come up a lot um, and you really have to protect your recovery. Um, but the more success, the more you do that over time and the more successful you are and persistent, um, the more the inside of your brain will change too over time, though it can yeah. take a long time and yeah, it's difficult. I think, you know, eating disorders, especially people, lay people don't have an appreciation for just how intense mm-hmm. recovery is, you know? Yeah. I wouldn't, I would never wish an eating disorder upon oh. like my worst enemy. They are oh. by far one of like the worst things that you can, mm-hmm. I feel like experience because they're, like you said, if it's something that you really 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 have to put in the work and work on or else you'll live with it for the the rest of your life you have to put in the work like every day all day mm-hmm. for years <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's hard also yeah. dude I actually do think that um eating disorders are in the, in and of themselves inherently traumatic I think they meet that criteria they're totally overwhelming and mm-hmm. you feel trapped within them like helpless yeah. Um, so I totally think that they are a traumatic experience. Yeah. Cause I feel like you wouldn't, you wouldn't commonly think of them as traumatic because mm-hmm. you're, they're self-inflicted, you know, mm-hmm. you're doing it to yourself, but I feel, feel like most often they're a result to something happening in your life, you know, that's out of your control or something that happened to you that was traumatic. And like, that was your response of dealing with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Like most the reason that, um, you know, my practice has a lot of folks in recovery from eating disorders is because a lot of folks get to eating disorders after experiencing trauma as a way of trying to remember, we talked about like, oh, we got to put it in a box and put it away. 
mm-hmm. eating disorders are really helpful at helping you not think about that other thing because you have all these other things you got to think about instead, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and helpful is maybe not the best word to use because they don't, it doesn't feel good at all, but it does, I think, serve a purpose for a lot of people of giving you something to cope with things that you can't cope with, right? It's like, okay, I can't change all of that shit, but I can be totally over-focused and repetitive thinking about this other thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and people don't choose that at all, but a lot of times your brain and body develop that as this sort of defense mechanism against a world that feels totally overwhelming and unsafe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. That's definitely true. Cause then mm-hmm. I was in the midst of it. Like my life just felt so chaotic on the outside. Yeah. And that was like the one thing that made me feel safe. Like my eating disorder mind became my friend and was like a mm-hmm. confidant in all the <laughs> horrible things that were happening. So it's de- that's definitely very true. Mm. Yeah. Again, congratulations on you Thank know you. Stage. it's a big deal. Thank you. And so it's for somebody listening to this that maybe mm-hmm. like, oh, that's me. That's happened to me, but hasn't made the jump to like go into therapy and like actually mm-hmm. start working on their trauma. Mm-hmm. what would you tell them to actually get motivated and do it? I love that. Um, so finding a trauma therapist can be hard. I want to start mm-hmm. by validating that finding a good therapist is not an easy experience. I don't know if you had that experience when you were. Yeah, no, it's definitely it. very hard. <laughs> it's hard. And I even have a really small list of folks that I refer to um, because just knowing that someone's a therapist isn't enough for me to trust that I can send like traumatized folks to them, you know? Um, so the second thing I would say after that is like recognize that not all therapists are trained trauma therapists. Um, and I don't know that everybody knows that. I think people think, oh, that's what therapists do. That's what many therapists do. And all therapists should be trauma informed, but not all of us are trauma specialists. So you want to look for somebody who is a specialist in treating trauma. Um, and I want you to think of that therapist, not as, um, like less like a medical professional and more like a guide and a cheerleader for you as you figure out what your recovery is going to look like. Um, because part of what we talked about today is like, everybody's experience is so different, how long it takes, what works, what brought you there in the first place. And so you're looking for someone who's not going to say, I guarantee that in eight sessions, you are going to be totally cured. If somebody says stuff like that or makes promises like that, it's like, oh, they don't know what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. Um, and instead you want to look for someone who you feel really safe with, like your body and brain feel generally calm with. Um, someone who's easy to talk to, someone who feels very supportive to you. Um, and then the two of you are going to be collaborating to figure out like what works. Um, if people want to check out my Instagram and I'm sure we'll put links to that in places I have on my profile, a tab there's like the guides tab. And I have a bunch of content I've made on how to find a trauma therapist, questions to ask directories to look at, um, affording therapy, stuff like that. So like, I have a whole bunch of content on that because it's, a complicated process yes. <laughs> and not always easy, but I would say, you know, it is more important. The most important thing you can do when you're looking for a therapist is find someone that you like, like being with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's definitely true. And I feel like it, uh, unless you've been in therapy a lot throughout your life, you don't mm-hmm. know that. And a mm-hmm. lot of people I think have the assumption that it's just one and done. You sign up for a therapist and that's it, but it's literally it's like dating, you know, you you just, you have to, you have to try a bunch of people out. You have to maybe see, have a couple of sessions with one person and then 
see how that is and then do the same with somebody else and you know go with the person that really feels the most comfortable like you said and who you can really share with because if you don't feel comfortable with the person or like feel like you have to hold back or you know like you're not comfortable enough to cry in front of them or like Mm -hmm. laugh or get angry or anything like that then I feel like it's just not gonna work it won't dude and like the research shows that too like all the research that's been done on what makes therapy effective, the number one thing consistently over time always is the relationship between you and your therapist. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have that, it's a waste of your money and your time. (laughs) So, you know, break up with that therapist and find somebody else that you do feel really comfortable with. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's kind of the cool thing I think about now, like in this, um, like so many people are doing therapy virtually now is where Mm -hmm. I'm going with this. Uh, And before the pandemic, before 2020, I would never have thought I would do virtual therapy, Um, but now it's all that I do. And part of what's cool about that is like people who don't live anywhere near me, but who are maybe vibe with me or want the kind of therapy I provide can still see me. Um, Mm -hmm. So your your pool of therapists is greatly expanded now. Um, So like Googling, get on Instagram. There's a lot of us there. There's people on TikTok, Um, find us, check out the website. And then like, ask us questions, interview us. Like, that's the other thing I tell people is like, you're hiring your therapist. Like we work for you. Um, so like, give me an interview. Like I'm interviewing for this job with you. <laughs> like mm-hmm. see if I'm the right fit, you know? Yeah. I like that. I like that. Cause a lot of times I feel like we just, we can go into that introductory session and we can just be like sitting there all quiet and timid and <laughs> you know, scared. And then totally. just the therapist asking us questions, but it's totally okay for us to ask them questions too, because you want to know who you're talking to. Yes. And like different therapists have different boundaries about how much they share with their patients and their clients, but that's not your job to worry about your therapist boundaries. It's their job. So you're welcome Mm -hmm. to ask anything that you want. Um, And it's on us to figure out how we're going to answer and what we'll answer and whatever. Um, But yeah, I always, in my first session with clients, I like ask like five times, do you have any questions for me at this point? Like, Hey, just want to check in. You got any questions? Lots Mm -hmm. of people don't. Um, But yeah. Like you got to check and make sure, like, are you actually a person who I'm going to be open to being like really vulnerable with? Um, Cause if not, like I need to bounce and go find somebody else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I've been, I've seen a lot of therapists and like, I, maybe the people listening have too. And I, I feel like there's often a point that you get to where it hits kind of like a lull maybe mm-hmm. where you're just feel like you like I feel like when you find the good therapist and then those first couple of sessions are really really good mm-hmm. and you feel like it's really productive but then after you know a couple of weeks it or a couple of months it just gets kind of flat and it feels yeah. like you're just venting the whole time so mm-hmm. what are some tips that you have for people to really make the most out of their therapy sessions so that they know that they're getting good quality use out of their time Dude, I love your questions. That's a great question. <laughs> um, okay. So the first thing I would say um, is tell your therapist that you feel like that. And that can be really scary for a lot of people. They're like, no, I don't want to tell them that. Mm-hmm. But um, if you can muster up the courage to be direct and let them know, um, part of our job is hearing your feedback and adjusting based on that. Um, and if your therapist gets defensive or like upset or whatever, that is a major red flag of like, oh, not a safe person. Okay, cool. Let's find somebody else. Um, but vast majority of therapists are going to be like, wow, thank you so much for sharing that with me. Um, let's talk about that a little bit. And then you guys can get curious together about that. Um, the second thing I would think about is I always encourage my clients to have um, either like a note in your phone or like a little like notebook or journal where you can drop down stuff that you want to talk about in therapy in the week. 
um, between sessions. Cause a lot of times, like we have that experience of getting there and being like, uh, I don't even know like what to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, three days ago at two in the morning, you were like, Oh my God, I need to talk about this in therapy. And then you forgot about it. Um, so I always recommend have a little note, keep down, like write down stuff that you're noticing thoughts that are in your head, stuff you want to explore, um, and then bring that to therapy, depending on your therapist. I also let my clients know very few people take me up on this, but I'm like, if you want to like text me in the middle of the week and be like, Hey, we got to talk about this next time I see you, like you can do that too. Right. So kind of keep a record of what comes up for you in between in some way that you know you want to talk about. Um, And then a lot of times, like if you're starting to feel sort of stagnant or there's this like lull, that's a sign that it's time to kind of go back to like, well, what are you hoping to get out of therapy? Like, what are you hoping will be different in your life? Um, What are your goals? And when you get to that and you kind of clarify those and come back to them, a lot of times that gives you a little bit more meat to work with, you know? Yeah. And how much do you think it like the recovery process with therapy? How much do you think happens outside of that one hour session that you have with your therapist once or twice a week, or depending on how often you do it? 90%. (laughs) Like most, because like what we do in therapy is we do, we look at your life. And we think what's working, what's not working. What do we want to try differently? What do we want to experiment with? Um, What's going to support you in making those changes? But then it's like on you to do it. (laughs) Um, And, you know, part of what happens as you're in recovery is you are changing the way that your brain and body automatically react to the world around you. Right. So maybe right now um, you hear a man yelling and your body and brain immediately tense up, get tight and you shut down. Right. Um, part of what we're doing in therapy is be able to hear a man yelling. Maybe you feel a little anxious, but your body stays pretty calm and you're able to sort of straighten up and be like, I need you to lower your tone of voice and be assertive with that person. Right. Um, and so practicing that, uh, is what like rewires your brain (laughs) to react differently. Um, and that's one of the hard things about all kinds of recovery, whether it's from trauma or anxiety or eating disorders or anything is that you have to do the things that are uncomfortable and that you don't want to do. Um, you just, you, you, if you don't do those things, you're never going to get better. You have to do it. And so part of what we do in therapy is like, I'm a support, I'm a cheerleader, right? So like, I will gas you up when you pull it off. I will help you figure out what's going to make it easier for you to get this done. How are you going to reward yourself when it's over? How are we going to celebrate these achievements? Uh, But you're the one who has to be okay with like, this is going to be really uncomfortable and it's going to suck and I'm going to do it anyway. Yeah. I really like, like what you said about that and Mm -hmm. how you have to get comfortable with the fact of doing things you don't want to do, because I think a lot of times in our work, we'll be like, okay, I really don't want to do this. So I'm going to do it because it's work or like with other people will be like, okay, I really don't want to go to this event, but I'll do it because I have to, you know, Mm -hmm. and, but we don't have that same kind of mentality when it comes to ourselves and like doing work on ourselves. So that's a really good realization to come to. It's like, I have to put in that same effort that I'm giving everything else in my life back into myself as well. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I like that. Right. Like people are good at being like, I don't want to write this paper right now, but it's due in 12 hours. So I'm going to do it. You know, um, I don't want to do this project right now, but my boss is expecting it Monday. So I'm going to get it done. Um, Mm -hmm. And yeah, we have to have that same kind of 
perseverance in our own recovery too. Um, and that's why, you know, having a therapist or any support network is so helpful because then they can be an accountability partner, right? Like if you don't turn that paper in, your professor is going to be like, where's your paper? You know, if you don't get your project done, your boss is going to be like, Hey, what happened? There's going to yeah. be consequences or people are going to notice. Um, so that's another thing I always tell people in recovery is like, who is your support team? Like who is backing you up with this? Tell them what you're working on. Ask them for support. Say, Hey, I'm going to do this really scary thing where I'm going to go back to the place where the bad thing happened. Can you come with me? I need someone to be there with me. Um, and they'll be like, all right, it's three o'clock. I'm coming to pick you up. And you're like, I don't want to go, but you're going to do it because they're with you. Um, and a therapist also is that accountability partner and like supportive person for you. Yeah. Yeah. That's huge. Having that accountability and somebody to mm-hmm. just like keep you on your feet, mm-hmm. hold you to your word and not let you back out of things is so huge. Yes. Oh, I love that. <laughs> I love yeah, that. We need it sometimes. And do you have any books, podcasts, or other resources you'd recommend for people to check out and maybe learn more about what we've been talking about or just mm-hmm. things you love? Yeah. Um, so the book I always recommend, it's like a little dense, not the easiest read in the world, but The Body Keeps the Score. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a classic for a reason. It's by a guy called Bessel van der Kolk. Um, and he just really breaks down basically like the science behind trauma and what's happening in our brains and bodies, which I think is so foundational for a lot of survivors because then it normalizes what you're experiencing and like helps get rid of the shame that you might have about what's happening for you. So that is always one of my top recommendations. Though again, it's like kind of, um, it's kind of lengthy, (laughs) Um, (laughs) but it's, it's totally worth it. Um, you can follow me on Instagram because uh, I do a lot of education and just breaking things down, trying to make it accessible and understandable for, pe- for people. Um, there's a lot of awesome, you know, content creators who are tackling these topics. Um, and so kind of just like going in and starting to look at who's out there and, and learning more there is a great thing. Um, but my top recommendation is always The Body Keeps the Score because this book changed my life when I read it. And I know a lot of other people have that experience. Yeah. I've started reading that book. I think I'm like more than halfway done, but it's such a long, lengthy Dude, it's not read. easy. And it's so heavy. I've been reading it since April, but I feel like when I do read it, I have to like be in the mindset and I can only read like 10 pages at a time. So it's going to take yeah. a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's making me think like, mm. it's just making me think about ways that we can get some of that information that's in here, like out to people in a way that's a little mm-hmm. more um, Yeah. Love or something. I don't know. <laughs> And where can people find you? You know, your socials, everything like that. My primary space right now is Instagram. So they can find me there. If you search my name, Summer for Lenza, I should pop up. But my handle is Summer the Therapist with periods between the words. Um, I'm working on expanding into some other parts of the internet soon. So I'll be posting about that on Instagram. You can also get on my mailing list um, and hear about that stuff when it happens. Because um, I got some stuff in the works. <laughs> Yeah, everybody listening, definitely go check her out. And thank you so much for coming on today. I'm so happy that you took the time to speak with us on this because it's such important topics for people to hear about. And there's so much misinformation out there, like I said at the beginning. So it's really good to have someone like you. Thank you so much for having me. This was so fun. It was great to talk about this um, and just spread some of this information because I really do think the world would be a better place if more people kind of had some understanding of these things. Thank you.